Now you'll notice that not, uh, one of the con uh, intimations on the screen uh, today is about uh, clubs uh, up and running again. We couldn't start the clubs this week because we couldn't get the hall in Munlochy, the school are using it this Friday. So we've decided to just start all the clubs on the first week of, um, of November. So the afternoon club here will be at 3 o'clock on Thursday and the evening one at half past 6. And in Munlochy each Friday, quarter past 3 to quarter past 4 in the afternoon and half past 6 to half past 7 in the evening. Now can I just say about these clubs, we can never have too many helpers. We can have too few, but we can never have too many helpers. And you know, sometimes if you're just there to be blethering to the, to the youngsters, that is a vitally important role. So if anybody wants to be involved in the clubs, please let us know. Um, we can't have too many uh, helpers. But I want us to remember this also. This is just one area of the work of the congregation. It needs to be a matter that we pray to the Lord over. And I hope that we will remember that work as well as all the other work that goes on in the congregation before uh, the Lord. And with that in mind, I just want to say this, that, you know, um, as I look around the church, I am very thankful for many, many things, including the number of people who come to the prayer meetings. Some come in person, some join online. But there is huge room for improvement. Uh, we should be able to find one hour in the week where we come together, whether in here or online, where we come together to plead with God to come in blessing, not only to ourselves, but to this community. So remember the work of the clubs as it begins, as, long as, as well as the other work that goes on in, in the congregation. Let's all be involved in one way or another in, in that uh, pleading for the Lord to bless us. I also want to make mention of the amount of stuff that's at the, in the foyer for the food bank. Uh, thank you very much indeed. And um, the amount of stuff that's appeared for the, for the shoebox appeal. Uh, thank you very much indeed for that as well. There's also an intimation today about the income for the, for, for, for the year compared to last year and we are very grateful to the Lord and I just want to thank you uh, for your kindness in that respect as well. The Kirk session hopefully will meet on Wednesday evening after the prayer meeting and uh, we've already had a couple of uh, people speak to me about baptism. If there's anybody else who wants to uh, come to speak about baptism, please feel free to, uh, to do so. And if there's anybody who's thinking about uh, joining uh, the congregation and sitting at the Lord's table at our communion in uh, the second Sunday of November, uh, please let me know. Please let me know. So let's begin our worship today by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 95. Psalm 95, it's found on page 357 of the Psalter, and it's at the beginning of the song. Psalm 95 at the beginning. Oh, come. 
Let us sing to the Lord. Come, let us everyone a joyful noise make to the rock of our salvation. Listen to verse 6. O come and let us worship him. Let us bow down with all. And on our knees before the Lord, our maker, let us fall. Verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord.
Now let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we pray that we would come before you this day with the reverence and the godly fear that's found in the song that we have just been singing. May we remember that you are holy. And may we remember that we are not. But may we not allow that to cause us to flee from you. Some days that's all we want to do. We just want to hide. Because we are who we are. But may we remember this, that God so loved this world that he sent his only begotten Son. That whosoever believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is why we are here this day. You know our anxieties. You know our fears. You know our ongoing sinfulness. But we pray that we would come <clears throat> in confession to you each and every day. And we pray that there would be a spirit within us this day that would want us to fall down on our knees before the Lord our Maker and to worship. We pray this day, O Lord, for <clears throat> those who are mourning afresh. We thank you this day for the days and the years that we shared with Adam McFarger. We thank you for our generosity, our kindness and our love for so many decades. And we thank you this day above all else that she trusted in you as our own friend and as our own saviour. And yet, the parting of the ways is a wrench. But may we remember this dear in God's sight is his saint's death. And we pray that that would be true of the death of each and every one of us, that we would have fled to Jesus as our own Saviour, so that our moment of departing this world will indeed be dear in God's sight. We give thanks for the sound of little voices in our midst. Bless them, we pray. Bless all the young of the congregation, born and unborn. And indeed bless us all. We need you each and every day. We are utterly and absolutely dependent upon you for everything. Your word tells us that in you we live and move and have our being. We ask you to forgive us for the days when we forget that. Remember those who are facing hard things. Remember those, whether gathered here or joining with us online this day, who feel that their worlds have fallen apart and who cannot see a way ahead. May they put their hand in your hand and may they be helped by you. At the end of the day, you are the only one who can help any of us. And so we ask you to draw nigh to us and to enable us to worship you in spirit and in truth this day. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> now a story for the young people. I was at a funeral up in the West recently. It was the funeral of an old minister <clears throat> up in Gerloch. 
can't even remember which day of the week it was but um, I'm going to tell you about something that happened to me whilst I was driving <coughs> over to, to Gerlach you know as you go along the road you come to um, Tor Junction then you get to Maryborough Junction and then you travel up I think the next village is a wee village called Conton as you head for the west and then the next thing after that there's a filling station called Tarvey Filling Station and then after that there's a wee village called Garve well somewhere between Tarvey Filling Station and Garve I came across on a very bad bend this car sitting with all its indicator lights flashing its alarm on now it was not a nice day it was pouring rain but I had given myself a wee bit of extra time in case anything happened on the road and uh, as I slowly passed this car I looked and I thought it's a woman uh, now, now, now don't, don't get me wrong about this but <laughs> don't, don't, that's not a sexist comment <laughs> uh, I'm getting myself into deep water here I think when you start when you get yourself into a hole you should stop digging so let's get past this bit but uh, after I went past I started thinking maybe I should have stopped and then I started thinking no I'm going to a funeral uh, and I knew that I couldn't stop where that car was stopped because it would cause an even greater traffic problem it was dangerous and so I said to myself no you can't you just can't keep keep on going well I went along the road for a few miles and, and my conscience got the better of me I thought no 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 I have to go back I started thinking about my own family and my own daughters and whatnot, and I thought if it was them uh, that would be horrible so uh, off back I went but uh, it was very difficult to find a place to turn on that so I came back to Tarvey filling station and I turned there and I and I came along but by the time I came across the car the second time there was a big white workman's van there with these orange flashing lights and I thought oh that's grand they're going off to help and I can just carry on to the funeral I was in a queue of traffic at this stage but then all of a sudden the van took off and away along the road it went and I thought oh no why did they not stay to help so uh, eventually the queue went along the road and it was my turn to go through and I thought what on earth am I going to do here anyway I wound down the window and I said uh, what did I say now I, I said have you got help on the way? By this time the person was out of the car. It wasn't a woman at all, it was a man. <laughs> and, uh, but he was a foreign man. I could tell that immediately. And I'm not sure he knew a word of what I was saying. But what I did say was, have you got help on the way? He never said a word to me. All he did was this. <laughs> and I thought, you're okay. <laughs> you're okay but do, do you see what do you see what happened there he never said one word to me but i went off on my journey to the to the funeral feeling well not feeling guilty anyway his, his thumbs up meant to me he, he's got help on the way whether he understood my language or not i knew that he was he was okay this meant i think thank you i appreciate what you've done now most of the time when we communicate with one another we use words but that's not the only way of communicating 
of sending messages to one another. Sometimes it's our actions that speak louder than our words. And you know, our sermon today is going to be about something that happened when Jesus was on the cross at Calvary. Now the Bible is full of stuff that Jesus said. It's not only the stuff that he said. It's got the stuff that he did as well. And the things that Jesus does are every bit as important as the things he said. Almost 2,000 years ago he hung on the cross at Calvary. He did something for his people. And what he did was utterly astonishing. That's why we are here today. And I hope that's why every last one of us is here today. Because of what Jesus has done. As well as what he said. But primarily because of what he has done. In order to take away our sins. And give us hope and eternal life before God. And I hope that's true of every single one of us. Now let's sing again to God's praise. This time it's in Psalm 100. And 42, and it is found on page 186 of the Psalter, Psalm 142, and it's a reminder to us, these songs are a reminder to us as to how switched on God is about us, because a lot of the Psalms are about people in great difficulties and in great trouble, and that's the way life is. But God guided all the writers of these songs about what they should say. And listen to this. I cry for mercy to the Lord. To him I lift my voice in prayer. Before the Lord I bring my plea. To him my trouble I declare. Then we come down to verse 5. I cry aloud to you, O Lord. You are my hiding place in strife. You are the one sustaining me. You keep me in the land of life. We'll sing the whole song to God's praise, verses 1 to 7. I cry for mercy to the Lord.
Now let's read God's word as we find it in the Gospel according to St. Luke and at chapter 23. And we'll read at the beginning of the chapter. Then the whole company of them arose and brought Jesus before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him. He was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas. A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify, crucify crucify him. A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized on one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. There followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. 
But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with them. When they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They cast lots to divide his garments. The people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at them, saying, He saved others, let them save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at them, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked them, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds? But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Amen. And may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. Let's pray. (coughs) O Lord our God, as we read this passage of your word, There just seemed to be so much chaos going on around the crucifixion scene. One person thinking this and another that and the next one something else. And it all appears to be such terrible disarray. But there is no disarray in the mind of God. Everything in its place to every last detail prophecies that were prophesied not just hundreds of years beforehand but thousands of years beforehand come to fruition all on cue may we remember that this day in the midst of a world of so much seeming chaos with political disarray seemingly all around may we remember that you sit on the throne of the universe (coughs) and by you kings reign and princes decree justice may we remember that in the midst of all our anxieties and fears and there are so many of them in the midst of all our tremblings May we turn heavenwards to the King of Kings and unburden our souls on a daily basis. 
And may we, as we turn to explore something of your word this day, may we remind ourselves that we need you. May you come in with us. May your spirit be here to open our eyes and to enlighten our minds that we might feed our souls afresh on the good things of the word of God. Keep the enemy of our souls at bay. And wherever your church is gathered across the globe this day, bless your people. Remember us as individuals and indeed as families. Our earnest prayer is this, that our family units will be unbroken on the shores of eternity because we have all trusted in you as our Saviour. May it be so for each and every one of us. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's sing again to God's praise. This time it's in Psalm number 143, the second version of it, and that's found on page 439 of the Psalter. We have two singings from this song today, but it's such a unique meter that it will be the same tune, I think, anyway, that will be used in both singings. But our first singing is from the beginning. Oh, hear my prayer, Lord. And unto my desire to bow thine ear accord, I humbly thee require. And in thy faithfulness unto me answer make, and in thy righteousness upon me pity take. We'll sing verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 143. O hear my prayer, Lord.
Now let's turn to the passage we've read in Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. And we're going to read again at verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Now let's, by God's enabling, <coughs> seek to explore something of uh, this area of Scripture. Jesus of Nazareth was crucified outside the city walls of Jerusalem around 2,000 years ago. But on that day, he wasn't the only one being crucified. There were two others who were crucified alongside him. And what I want us to explore a little bit about today is we want to take three things that the person that we know of as the unsaved thief is saying. And then we want to look at three things briefly that the person we know of as the saved thief is saying. Because it does look as if out of these two criminals who were crucified alongside Jesus, the one Saul went that very day to be with Jesus in paradise, in heaven. It looks as if the other one it did not. And we're going to take the unsaved thief first. And the first thing we're going to look at is this. He says to Jesus, one of the criminals who were hanged, railed at them, saying, Are you not the Christ? And if you go back to the original language, the answer you're expecting to that is negative. In other words, he doesn't really believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Now earlier on in this uh, passage, we read about others who were saying uh, of Jesus, if you are the Christ, Come down from this cross. If you are the Christ, save yourself. Now that little word if is a very short word. It's only two letters. But it tells us an awful lot about the people who were uttering these words. They simply did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Now from the word go at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry when he started doing these things in my children's address today I spoke about how Jesus didn't just say things he did things and all his miracles involved that are doing something but the words that went alongside them were explanations of what was going on in the doing and you know in a few weeks time we will sit at the Lord's table 
And people will do things. They will eat a piece of bread and they will drink some wine. But uh, these doings have to be explained. And they are explained in the word of God. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. And you remember that the very first miracle that Jesus performed was the changing of water into wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. Now it wasn't just one or two liters of wine that Jesus water changed into wine. It was well over a hundred gallons. That's a lot of wine. And you know, I think sometimes our problem is this, that we've heard, many of us have heard these stories from our youngest years, and there's a kind of familiarity that breeds contempt, and we don't really think the whole thing through, and we don't allow the impact of what's meant to happen to happen to us. But my guess is this, if you or I had been at that wedding, we would be astonished, and we would be saying to Jesus, How did you do that? Who are you anyway? And you know his answer was always the same. I am the son of God. And you know the enemies of Jesus. The profound enemies of Jesus. Had no problems with what he was saying. Well at one level they didn't have any problems. What I mean is this. They knew exactly what he was saying. He's saying he's not just a human being. They're saying that he's God as well. And they were enraged with him. Absolutely enraged with him. Do you know in Old Testament prophecy there was word of this Messiah, the coming one. The one who would come to help. Somewhere out there in the future and Jesus is saying, you know, when he reads the prophecy of Isaiah, these words are fulfilled in your midst today. In other words, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ, I am the God-man, I am God coming to do something for my people in this world. And the church leaders are saying, no, you are not. And with vehemence and rage they're saying, no, you are not. And at the end of the day, everybody in the human race has to make a decision about this issue. Is he or is he not? And there was one of the criminals on the cross at Calvary that day. And he had considered the things that I've just been speaking about. And his conclusion was at the end of the day, I don't think so. I don't think so. And then the second thing he says is this. Save your... Are you not the Christ? Question mark. Save yourself. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about this. If you are who you say you are, let's see you in action. Get yourself down from this situation. Get yourself off this cross. Now at the end of the day, that's the one thing Jesus could not do. Not that he wanted to for one solitary minute. He could not get himself down from that cross. Why? 
because he was in this world for a particular reason reason he had a remit to fulfill he had an agenda to accomplish and his agenda was this saving sinners that's what it was all about but this man can only think in blinker terms save yourself and away back in the midst of eternity when Jesus committed to coming into this world to save his people part of the great remit was this he must pay the penalty for sin that's why he stays on that cross that's why when this man says save yourself he pays no attention whatsoever now I want us to remember these truths and I want us to remember them for a very practical reason because so many Christians today are tortured by the enemy of their souls in this particular way he stirs up an awareness of their sinfulness not just a present day sinfulness but sins of the past as well and he has Christians low in the water he has people looking on at Christians and all they see is this glumness and this doomsday scenario sort of and it suits them fine because he has the world looking on and they're saying it reminds me of the story of the person who was out in the streets of the front door of the church in one of the towns or cities and he was obviously pretty low on the water himself and he was, he was, he, but he was eager for souls to come in to hear the word of God but the passerby he spoke to took one look at him and said no 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 I've got enough problems myself do you see the message that was being given out it wasn't a positive message it wasn't a message of hope why? because the enemy of the soul had ensnared him to the extent that he was so down and so low on the water there was never going to be any hope of him wooing anybody in we all suffer from that in one degree or another in this spiritual warfare in this battle that is so fierce he wins it so often when he shouldn't be winning it how, how do you deal with a situation like that there is only one way to deal with that kind of situation and that is to come back to the word of God and to remind ourselves what Jesus is actually doing for his people it doesn't matter how great our sins are it doesn't matter how enormous the burden is he came to seek and to save sinners and he came to pay the price. That's why when this thief says to him, save yourself, he doesn't pay a blind bit of attention. Why not? Because he's got his agenda, he's got his remit and he, he fulfills it. Who does he fulfill it on behalf of? Sinners like you and I. And we have to bring ourselves back to that again and again and again. But that's not all he says about saving himself. Save yourself and us. Now there is huge irony in here. Because I take it that he means us in the sense that myself, yourself and my fellow partner in crime. 
his fellow partner in crime was gloriously saved but he was not gloriously saved by Jesus getting them down from that cross he went on to die in a handful of hours but his soul gloriously went to paradise along with the soul of Jesus of Nazareth but the other unsaved thief he's absent why? he just doesn't get it he just doesn't believe that Jesus is who he says he is and here's something I want us never, ever, ever to forget. The Bible is full of glorious hope for everybody. But tied in with that is this. You and I have to do the believing. You and I have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're ever going to be saved. And these things are so absolutely crucial. You know, day after day after day, we are witnessing people go over the edge into the great beyond. And these events are the voice of God to us. Because God doesn't just speak to us from the Bible. He does speak to us from the Bible. But he speaks to us from the events of life as well. And every single day he's saying, prepare to meet your God. Prepare to meet your God. How do you prepare to meet God? How do you prepare to meet God if you're a great, rebellious, depraved sinner? You prepare to meet God by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's it in a nutshell. That's it in a nutshell. But we must move on to look at some of the things that the saved thief, in contrast, is uh, saying. The unsaved thief is saying... Are you not the Christ? There's an if there. He doesn't believe it. Save yourself. Jesus can't save himself. And as the irony is, one of the as is going to be saved, but not by Jesus coming down from the cross. But what is the saved thief uh, saying? The other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation now that's interesting we're condemned this saved thief is saying I'm condemned you're condemned we are condemned people now the world doesn't like this teaching Because we come to the pages of scripture and God tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in a nutshell that is basically saying this, we are all condemned. Now you might go over to the, just the centre in Inverness tomorrow and you might listen to somebody condemn somebody to five, six years in prison. That's their condemnation for being found guilty of the crime that they have uh, committed. But when it comes to the courtroom of God, it's not a condemnation to five or six years of prison. It is a condemnation to be eternally lost in the lostness of hell. But we live in a world that just reacts violently against that kind of teaching. 
Look, it's not my teaching. It's in the Word of God. And we can take this God on if we want. And we can spend an endless eternity trying to take him on. But at the end of the day, we're not going to win. But why don't we just listen to him? Why don't we just hear him out? There are those who will not listen. Because they are so enraged against this kind of teaching. That it's the end of the story for them. But that's only part of the teaching. You know, the opposite of condemnation is this justification. What is justification? You couldn't make this stuff up. We wouldn't dare make it up. Because we come to the pages of Scripture and we find two men in the temple one day praying. One of them was showing off and trying to impress people in the temple and God about how holy and pious and sanctimonious he was. But there was another man there and that day all he could see was this. He would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. He's looking at his feet. We look at our feet when we are overwhelmed with shame. And he smote upon his breast an expression, an outward expression of real inward sorrow. What's the problem? You find it in the answer to that in his prayer. God, be merciful to me, not a sinner, but the sinner. The greatest sinner that's ever walked this world is crying out to God for mercy. And you know what we read after that? He went, he was the one that went down to his house justified. Now the justification means this. As far as the judge is concerned, he doesn't see any sin whatsoever. In fact, what God sees in a person that is just, we want to dilute our guilt as much as we can. Do you know, he made me do it. Do you know, I got in with the wrong crowd. Do you know, it's just the way it was brought up. It was my environment. I didn't do this, I didn't do that, I didn't. We can make excuses all day long. Indeed. Do you know what part of the ethos of today's age is this? I am such a terrible victim. That explains who I am. There's no way out of the mess of life sin if that's the attitude you take. But that seems to be the way it is. Everybody's got a story of terrible victimhood and there's no willingness to put our hands up and say, I'm sorry, it was really me. But this man is saying, I am condemned. And not only is he saying that, we're getting what we deserve. We deserve what we are getting. There is no ducking, there is no diving, there is no being on the run from the justice of the day. He faces up to who he is and he faces up to the reality of justice catching up uh, with him. Do you know that's a good and wholesome place to be? 
But that's not at all. There is this as well. This man, that is the man in the middle, that is Jesus of Nazareth. This man has done nothing wrong. Do you see the difference? The unsaved thief just did not get it. But this man has got it. This man has got what we call substitutionary atonement. Now you know what a substitute is. If number 9 is injured on the field, number 12 can come on, and number 12 takes over the role that number 9 had. He's the stand-in. He's the substitute. This man knew he was condemned. This man knew he was receiving what he deserved. But this man also realized what Jesus was all about. And Jesus is about substitution. He stands in the stead of this man. And this man crucially believes that. That's why he went on to utter this prayer. Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Do you see Jesus not as a nobody but as a king? You think, well, what kind of king is it that's hanging on the cross with his blood ebbing away and his life ebbing away? He's got it. He has got what kind of king Jesus is. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of a spiritual realm. He's the king that can save the spiritually needy. And he flees to him. The one he believes in. Because this man has done nothing amiss. But he's still being crucified. You think, why on earth? Why on earth has he been crucified? Because sin requires to be punished by a thrice holy God. Whose sin? Well, it certainly wasn't the sin of Jesus of Nazareth. Well, whose sin was it? It was this man's sin. And it's your sin and my sin if we have fled to Jesus as our Saviour. There you have it. A real contrast. You know, the very first psalm in the Bible is about the world being divided into two very particular groups. The wicked and the righteous. But at the end of the day, we've all been born in sin and shape and in iniquity. We're all in the wicked world. How do you get out of it? You get out of it by... and. By getting rid of your sin. How do you get rid of your sin? You get rid of it by giving it to Jesus. And the moment you give it to Jesus. You're not in the wicked boat anymore. You're in the boat of the righteous. And there you have it. Unsaved. Unsaved. And at the end of the day. We're going to be in one of those boats. And the great question is this. Which one is it going to be? May we be wise about these matters. And may we be found at this very moment of time trusting in Jesus as our Saviour. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, 
We thank you that you've done what you've done. We pray that we would listen to you, that we would respond to you, that we would flee into your arms, and that we would find ourselves safe in Jesus for time and for eternity. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's conclude by singing in the same song, Psalm 143. It's found on page 439 of the Psalter. It's the second version. And it's at verse 6. Lo, I do stretch my hands to thee, my help alone. For thou well understands all my complaint and moan. My thirsting soul desires and longeth after thee as thirsty ground requires with rain refreshed to be. We'll sing verses 6 to 10 of Psalm 143. Lo, I do stretch my hands.
now may grace, mercy and peace from Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one both now and forevermore. Amen.